0: I know you walked in this morning with an opportunity uh, that you are thinking about solving. Uh, This opportunity might be that you're really looking forward to taking a nap this afternoon. How many of you like to take naps on Sunday afternoons? How many of you like to go hiking on Saturdays? So that, you know, we have an opportunity to get out there. How many of you like to go fishing if you had the choice, what would you rather choose? Would you rather own a big, beautiful home with lots of space that's close to shopping and lots of people, or would you rather live in a smaller home that's close to hiking and beauty? Which one would that be? You can share with the person next to you. Go ahead, go ahead. And now, and just keep talking while I talk. Let's say you had to choose between uh, a piece of bacon for a snack and uh, a s'more for a snack. Which one would you choose? <laughs> well, this was, the ch- this, this was the choice that a certain 13-year-old who will go unnamed uh, had just a few weeks ago. Uh, I, uh, was getting, uh, I was on the road traveling and I was told this story uh, virtually over the phone that uh, a certain 13-year-old is going to go unnamed. She was hungry. And so she was looking around, scrounging around for a snack, and she found bacon. Now, how many of you approve of bacon as a good solution to your hunger problem? (laughs) Amen. And so now you have a hunger problem, you're going to solve it with bacon, but you know that if you ask permission, well, perhaps it might get denied. And you also know that you've been told not to use the gas cooktop without help. And so, well, you decide in all of your uh, fully formed brain wisdom (laughs) that the toaster oven is the best possible way to cook a piece of bacon. Mm, right. Now, you don't wanna put the bacon directly in the wire rack though because that'll get dirty, right? The bacon might get dirty. So you put a paper towel, a (laughs) a very flammable paper towel. You put the bacon on top and you broil that bacon. You know, my point here is that we often really, uh, really will go all out to solve a problem, not always thinking about the long-term consequences of our solutions. In fact, we're going to look this morning at Paul's letter to Colossians, and we're going to see that often we don't really even spend the time to prioritize the problems in our lives that we're trying to solve. Instead, we let urgency or the moment Drive the things that we're paying attention to. Often, we don't rethink whether or not a current solution in our lives is even meeting our needs. Instead, we just continue on going through the rhythms that we currently have and then rather than looking on the inside, we look at the world around us and blame the world for not getting what we want. So let's take a look at Paul's letter to the to Colossians. He says this. Thank you. I want you to know how much I've agonized for you, for the church at Laodicea, and for many other believers who have never met me personally. So now church, I wanna pause there and just pick up on where we, Pastor Brian left off last week. He started with chapter 1, and and he reminded us this uh, letter was written by a guy named Paul to a church in a city called Colossae. Well, here in the beginning of chapter 2, we find out that Paul was not writing this just to the church in Colossae. This is what uh, the really smart guys that read their Bible in cubicles, they're called scholars. We don't have, at least I'm not one of them, but uh, these guys tell us this is what they call a circular letter. It's a really fancy way of saying the mailman carried it everywhere. He would take it to the church, they would read it, and then he would take it to the next church, right? Makes sense? So this wasn't written just to the church in Colossus. This was also written to us. To us. So believers who have never met me personally, I want them to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged, says Paul. And knit together by strong ties of love. I want you to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan which is Christ himself. In him lie all all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm telling you this so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. Now I wanna pause there again. Uh, We can kind of get caught up in what Paul's trying to talk about here with this, this mystery and this hidden. And as best we can tell there's a group of folks that are saying that there's more to know. The greatest enemy to Christianity is often the folks within Christianity that tell us that there's, there's more deeper wisdom to be had. And is saying, folks, it, it's Christ. It keeps going back to Christ. There's not a secret that God hasn't told you. There's not some secret solution that once you've known Christ for 50 years, you'll find out. Now, believe me, I'm sure those things that we will all know after 50 years that we don't know today, but we'll also know that we knew everything we needed every step along the way. For though I'm far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living As you should and that your faith is strong. And then Paul continues in chapter six. And now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong and the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Just as a tree grows down and establishes itself in the ground. It also too must grow up. And it also too must bear fruit. And Paul creates this image for us. That we have to be established within Christ. To grow in our faith. Just as a tree if it grows up too far without growing roots. It can be blown over. Similarly. If you grow roots but don't grow up, you don't have the energy to sustain your life. And then finally, if, if you don't bear fruit, well, what's the point? See, church, if there's any one thing that I'd like to impress upon you as, as an, kind of an outside voice, as someone who works with churches all over the country, it's this you are the mission of God. You are the mission of God. That means that you are the object of God's love and grace. But you are not only the object of God's love and grace. You are also his tool to reach a lost and dying world. As his mission, he died for us. As his mission, we go out into the world proclaiming the good news of Christ. Now the great news is, is the very minute you receive God's grace, you become the very best ambassador and mission to the world has ever known. Do you know that, that scientists have proven that people learn best from someone who just learned something? So the very best way for you to be, carry the message of Christ is to share what you learned today. That's all you have to do is in Jesus' words through the book of Luke, be Christ's witness. Just bear witness to what God's doing in your life and you are his mission. You're the object of his mission and you are his mission to the world. And here Paul tells us we need to be rooted deep down so that we can grow up and so that we can give his fruit and we will experience that thankfulness. Too often, we come into church, and and I don't know exactly what your experience is, but my experience is that sometimes I feel like I'm coming to be told, here's another thing I'm supposed to do, or another thing I'm supposed to become. And when that happens in our lives, it's a symptom that we've begun to get things out of order, And as we continue in the book of Philippians, we will see that this chapter, sorry, Colossians, this chapter is much about properly ordering our relationship with Christ and properly ordering what I'll just generally refer to as our loves. What are the things that we love in our lives? Go ahead, just think about it. Don't get spiritual here, but what do you love? So we love bacon, we've established that. Uh, We love hiking, we've established that. We love fishing. So share with the person next to you. I expect to hear lots of talking now. Share with the person around you some of the things that you love. I want some noise, talk. Even if you're not saying words, I want some noise. I want it to sound like you're participating. At least pretend. What are some things that you love? You know, that's, it's not very loud in here. You're very quiet. It's a very polite church. You're very quiet, very polite. We need to really up the interaction ramp. I, I think we need to challenge Pastor Brian and other teaching pastors to really get a little more dialogue. <laughs> Brian's shaking his head no, please no. All right, so as we think about our loves, I'll tell you this right now, the things you love are solving problems in your life. That's why you love them, because they solve problems. Now, Pastor Brian mentioned that I married up and, and, and he's one of the few people that knows just how far I did marry up. <laughs> but, you know, and the key to any great relationship, key to any great marriage is, is our spouse meets incredible needs in our lives. And, and hopefully it goes both ways, right? Children meet an incredible need in our life. And here's one of the keys to life though. If we misappropriate or misunderstand what needs something is meeting, we set ourselves up for disappointment. In fact, sometimes I tell people, and this is a little cheeky, so, so think about what I'm saying here because you can be, misinterpret it. Uh, the secret to happiness is low expectations. <laughs> the secret to happiness is low expectations. Now, folks, I didn't say the secret to life is low expectations, But the secret to happiness, if you want to be happy, just really set that bar really low. People will always exceed it and you will be really pleased with everyone around you. Now, that's not the secret to life, mind you. But what is important is that we match up what someone or something can do for us and what we want them to do for us. For example, let's go back to children. Uh, A little while back, I saw a study that, uh, that children did not indeed make their parents happier. So now, now this sounds scandalous. And now I'm just saying with my children in the audience, both of you make me happy. Um, I'm not talking about you. Uh, I promise. But really this actually isn't as scandalous as sound because God didn't give his children to make us happy. Now did he? No, he gave us children so that we can have an object to love. So that we can raise, so that we can continue and pass on the faith that he's given to us. So if we go into a relationship, if we go into a relationship, even with Christ, with the wrong expectations, we set that up for failure. Even worse, we make an idol out of Christ by asking, perhaps even demanding, he give us something that he has no intention of giving. We see this in the book of John. He feeds the 5,000. And they come to him and they say, Jesus, we like this arrangement. How about we just keep doing this? You talk and give us food and we'll listen and we'll eat. This sounds like a great deal. Now, if there'd been bacon in there, I probably would, would have been all part of that group. Now, and what does Jesus say? If you go read the book of uh, sixth chapter of John, Jesus says, Ugh, yeah, I didn't come here to feed you food. I came here to teach you the word of God and to give you the ability to enter into his family and to do God's will. That's why I came here. I didn't come here to solve your hunger problem. I came here to solve your belonging problem. I came here to solve a very real life and death problem. Let's continue in the book of Colossians. It says, don't not let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that come from human thinking And from the spiritual powers of this world, rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and every authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, quote-unquote, but not a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. You were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ and he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Indeed, we could spend A lot of time in that passage. But Paul in one way is saying is, you know, whatever problem you're trying to solve in your life today, whatever opportunity you're hoping to seize, it all pales in comparison to the life and death problem that we all have. We're all born. None of us make that choice. And at some point, we're all gonna die. Newsflash. Jesus came to solve that problem. And you're going to have other problems in your life. Ones are going to be big. And you may have something huge this morning. But this problem is more pressing. It is more important on both ends the life today and the life evermore. Paul's saying to us don't miss the greatest opportunity that you'll ever have, which is to truly live in Christ. And we're surrounded with a world that's trying to give us solutions. They're trying to stop getting us from thinking about the problem and to start thinking about buying their answers. Perhaps it's promotion at work. Perhaps it's a nice new car. Perhaps it's being a foodie. Perhaps it's dressing in a certain way. Perhaps it's getting married or or having the right number of kids. Whatever the solution is that you've been sold, Catch this, it becomes a love. And our relationship with Christ is very profoundly, very directly about submitting those loves to his authority. Our relationship with Christ is very profoundly, very directly about submitting those loves to our relationship with Christ. It is not about denying that we love them. That is the way to self illusion pretending that we don't care about something that we do is ridiculous. And this would be the temptation for someone who's fallen into temptation. Perhaps there's a, something that you know is bad for you that you love a lot. You don't serve yourself by pretending that you don't love it. The even greater challenge is when we love something that's good. Now this sounds kind of strange, but God's given us all kinds of wonderful things in our lives that we should love but they can become problems for us if we love them more than Christ. C.S. Lewis says it very contrastly, very uh, like this. He, he says that no man can love anything too much as he loves it less than Christ. Okay, good. I think we can all track there, but then he says this. Any man who loves anything more than Christ makes it into a demon. And so now I want to swing back into this passage in Colossians where Paul talks about the spiritual authorities and rulers of the world. I, look, there's a lot of things there that I don't understand. I'm not going to pretend to you that I have all the answers. I don't even begin to have, I have so many guesses, but here's what I do think. Is that we carry into our relationship with God some of the most significant demons we will ever challenge, that we will ever face. And those become the very loves in our life that we love more than Christ. We make them into something. We make them into an authority in our lives that can trip us up and that can carry us away. It can prevent us from going with him. And oftentimes, the greatest frustrations that we have in our lives are things, they're just, the consequences, the unintended consequences of decisions that we've made. And we don't recognize that that is the challenge we're facing and so Paul challenges us to put Christ first. Paul challenges to focus on the real opportunities before us, to seize new life. To seize the opportunity of knowing him and being part of his family. And so when we go to make that decision and make him first, it doesn't make all of our other loves go away. We'd be severely disappointed if we were to go down to the river and get baptized and think that at that moment we'll never have a temptation again. Oh, I wish. I'll be honest. I had a lot of frustration with God in my early life. Probably like as in yesterday. that It's not easy. Isn't it supposed to be easy? Why doesn't God make it easy? And why doesn't he answer all the questions? Well, he answered the most important question. And he does give us the strength to make the decision we need to make today, today. And as we go forward in our passage, let's continue in the book of Colossians. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or or for not celebrating certain holy days or, or new moon ceremonies. Let's just pause right there or Sabbath. There's some, there's some big words here, and I don't want to belabor this, but this just reminds us that this letter is written to a group of folks that were called Gentiles. That's just a really fancy way of saying pagans or non, non-believers. This is, you know, this is us. He, this is to non-Jews. So all these things are things that Jews would do, that they were instructed to do in the Old Testament. And Paul's saying, look, guys, as he continues on this passage, there were shadows of the reality yet to come, and Christ himself is that reality. And so you kind of, you know, well, you know, Mike, what does that mean for us today? What that means for us today is that as I work with churches around the country, one of the things I find out is we don't have a lot of, uh, we don't have a dominant voice of Judaism in our background. Telling us to observe the Sabbath or whatnot. But we do have a dominant voice of church past. Telling us to be religious. Telling us that there's a certain way you have to do it. And and, and we just, there's something in our humanity that wants to be religious. And religion, folks, is just trying to take a hold and trying to be in control of God. And as a church, we struggle with that. And Christ says, don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or, now check this out, or the worship of angels. Woo, that's, that's woo. wow. Or this, saying that they had visions about these things. Wow, this church was messed up, right? I mean, anybody in the room guilty of worshiping angels or uh, had visions and, and now, okay. My point is, we're a New Testament church, if we aren't perfect. If we come into church expecting to meet a group of people who are perfect. Then we fall into this weird category of, of pretend. We're just like the church of cloths. Not in this sense. We don't worship angels. At least none of you raised your hands. And uh, you're not admitting it. And, and, and we don't focus too much on visions. But, but we have stuff too. We have stuff we struggle with. And Paul says this: Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they're not connecting to Christ, the head, the body. This is our challenge, church. We can't get focused on our on the means. We need to get focused on the end. Which is to be connected to Christ. For he holds the whole body together. With his joints and ligaments. And grows it as God nourishes it. This is the good news of Christ. That though in our sin. We want to take control of God. God understands. And he says slow down. Here's your solution. Put me first. Put me first. I remember many years ago. uh, Back in the days when. Pastor Brian and I were working with junior hires. Uh, we put together a retreat and we had, uh, who is now your pastor, Derry. And, and Derry preaches here. Derry, we had Derry come in and, and he, he taught the, the youth and, and he said something that I'll never forget. He says, you love what you invest in. So if there's any secret that I'll give you this morning, I'll say, rather than trying to get rid of the old Rather than trying to deny loves. Just grow your love for Christ. Invest in your love for Christ. Let go of self-condemnation. Let go of guilt. Let go of shame. Let Christ wash all that out of your life. Let him forgive you. And let him grow that love for him in your life. And as you give that more priority. His authority will take over the other authorities in your life. And you will begin to find transformation in your life that you could have never guessed. And so as we begin to look towards a close this morning, my question for you is this. Where, what love in your life is the greatest competitor with your love for Christ? What love in your life is the greatest competitor for your love of Christ. And what can you do this next week, today, this next month, to grow your love of Christ and every day just remember to submit that love to your love for Christ. As the band comes up, I'm gonna pray for us and and Journey family, if you'd like to make a decision for Christ or if... God's been talking to you as we've been speaking uh, about the ordering of our loves. If you'd like to to make a a declaration that hey, I want Christ to be first in my life for the first time or perhaps in a significant way today, I'm gonna have time to acknowledge that and and I'm just gonna invite you to raise your hand, but let's pray and and just, Father in heaven, I welcome you into our lives and into our hearts and the ordering of our loves. Lord, we recognize that we love many things, many good things you've given us, our wives, our husbands, our children, our parents, our friends, our church, our pastor. And Lord, we recognize that we can't love any of these things too much. But Lord, also we confess that sometimes we love them more than you and sometimes we love ourselves more than you. And so Lord, today we we ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see just how deep and wide is your love for us. That you would show us how we are the object of your grace and the minute we receive it, we become your mission to the world. We don't need to know more. We just need to love you more. So Lord, if... If there's anyone here this morning that would like to make a decision for Christ for the first time or a significant moment, we recognize, hey, today's a day that I need to put Christ first. I, I invite you now just to look up and make eye contact with me. Raise your hand so I can see you. And so, Father, as you recognize each one of these folks that's make a decision, I also pray for each one of us that maybe the moment wasn't as significant enough to raise our hands, but I pray there'd still be a moment of decisiveness to say, Lord, I want to make some tweaks. I want to make some reordering so that even if that's only a quarter of a rung higher, I want to bring it down under submission, obedience to you, so that in everything I do, I'm on mission for you. Lord, be with us. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.